Let's begin with a word of prayer. Eternal Heavenly Father, we want to come and acknowledge you today as our Creator and our Redeemer, and we want to thank you for going to such great lengths to win humanity back to trust and acceptance through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son on this earth. Please guide our study this morning as we uh, examine why Jesus had to die, and open our minds and, and open our hearts that we may better understand this concept. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome our visitors, first of all, both here and uh, listening on the internet. I want to extend a warm welcome to you guys. Today, we're looking at lesson number 10 in our quarterly, and the, uh, the title of the lesson is The Meaning of His Death. Someone read the memory text, please, for Sabbath's lesson. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Okay, to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, what does this text mean? To pay the price. To whom? To the world. For the world. Why is what, it is it, what does it generally mean when someone is ransomed? means they've been kidnapped initially. They've been kidnapped. They're perhaps being held against their will. Could it also mean that they're being held in bondage unbeknownst to them? No, they know. Usually. They know they're being held, and usually somebody is saying, uh, you can buy this person back for so much money. You get a ransom note. That's what we think of ransom as. Okay, let's examine it in the context then that it is here in the in the text. To, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Did the people who put Christ on the cross know that they were being held ransom? Did they have any idea that they were slaves? No, they didn't. What were they slave to? What were they being held slave to? They were Romans. They were slaves to no one. Okay. In their opinion. In their opinion. The Jews understood that they were, I don't know if bondage is the right word, but they were an occupied territory. They were, they were, a, they were a group that was subject to Roman intervention, shall we say. So they chafed against that, but... Ever since they were brought out of Egypt, they considered themselves slaves to no one or nothing. And yet, what was holding them in slavery? Themselves with all the rules and things. Traditions of men. They were being held slave to rules and regulations. What else were they in slavery? Fear. They were being held a fear of what? Fear of losing control of being number one. Okay. What And what is... What is fear and selfishness a result of? It's a result of the infection of sin. We see this in the garden. We've been over this many times. When Adam and Eve distrusted God, the first thing that they led to was fear and selfishness. They ran and hid because they were afraid. What had changed? Had God's attitude toward them changed? Their perception of who God was had changed because of the distrust, because of the belief in a lie led to distrust, which led to fear and selfishness. The Jews were being held in slavery to sin because of belief in a lie. They believed in lies and distortions about God, and they were so darkened in their thinking that when God came and walked on the earth and introduced himself to them, spoke with them, and healed their sick, they didn't recognize him. So when we read, when we read this text here in Mark, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who is the many? Okay, good question. Who is the many? Any thoughts? Was it just the Jews that he came to ransom from darkness and slavery to sin? And... and uh, uh, for all, 
So all those who would accept him. All who would accept him. But did the Jews believe that? What does it mean to accept Christ? Is that does that mean? made a distinction about how the word all has been used, mm-hmm. referring to the whole universe. Yep. Maybe, maybe the limitation of many here is just referring to the human race that have fallen captive to sin, whereas the angelic hosts and non-fallen worlds wouldn't necessarily need to be ransomed. So maybe that is why the word many is used instead of all. That's a great insight. That's not, that's not something I had uh, considered until now. There's a text that says, that Christ is speaking, it says, I, if I am lifted up, will draw all. The original Greek says all, period. The men is supplied from the uh, people who translated that scripture. They supplied men, all men unto me. The original, the original text says, I, if I'm lifted up, will draw all unto me. Um, and there's some great... Great insight in the Desire of Ages in the It Is Finished chapter regarding the attitudes and the thoughts and the appreciation of angelic hosts, the unfallen angelic hosts, on what they what was revealed to them when Christ uh, laid down His life. Some uh, someone read the last last paragraph in Sabbath lesson. There, there, before you do that, let me go on record as saying there are some portions of this study that. I have to respectfully disagree with, respectfully but strongly disagree with, and I want to see what uh, you guys have to think about this as well. Last paragraph in Sabbath lesson, someone shout it out, please. So this week, we will seek to try to answer the important question of why Jesus died, what purpose was accomplished by his death, and what it means for us many centuries after the fact. Did Christ, as some assert, die merely to show us God's love, and thus to change our feelings about God, or did Christ's death, in fact, do something that changed how God relates to us? These are all topics worthy of our deepest interest. Okay, any thoughts or brilliant glimpses of the obvious on this passage? Is there a C? None of the above? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Are these our only two options? The way this question, the way this uh, paragraph is worded, it it leads leads you to believe that this, well, it's either this or it's this. Is there another question we can ask? Is there, are these our only two choices? Did he only come to reveal his character? Did he only come to reveal the character of his father? Did he come to reveal the character of his father? Yes, he did. Is that all he did? What else did he do? He came to live the life that Adam didn't lead. Okay, well, Adam was to reveal the character of God. That was his only chore. Since Adam failed, Christ had to do that, had to complete Adam's job. Plus, he now had another task. To reconcile us to God. To reconcile us to God. Bring us back in the circle of love. So it wasn't to reconcile God to us, as the lesson would suggest? So we were the ones that were out of line, out of harmony. Fascinating. And he also came to abolish sin. He had to do away with sin. To destroy the works though. Okay. Um, And that's the part I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot about this that I don't understand. Um... And the lesson in Sunday's lesson suggests that we can't understand most of this, which I also disagree with. We'll get that in a minute. He came to defeat Satan. But if he hadn't, if he hadn't come to Earth and lived a sinless life, then Satan would have said, "It was true. There's no way that a man, a person, can live a sinless life on this Earth. So there's no way that people can creation can live up to God's requirements of us." Okay, that. I agree with you. I, I would put that, however, under the broad umbrella of revealing the character of revealing the character of the Father. Um, my understanding is that Satan's early allegations was that, you know, mercy and and justice were inconsistent, and that um, 
no one really was as unselfish as the father claimed to be. So that, you know, Satan's allegations were that, yeah, he talks a good game, but if you step out of line, he's going to use his immense power to punish you, like he did me by throwing me out of heaven. Lie. It is a lie. And like it's taught in so many churches today. <laughs> yes. So I, I agree with you. He, he did come to expose Satan for the liar and the murderer that he is. Um, I put that under the broad umbrella of revealing God's character. If you want to categorize it otherwise, you know, no, no issues there. But there's still, there's something else that Christ had to do in addition to revealing the character of the Father. Now that Adam had failed to reveal that, every one of Adam's descendants, including us, are born defective. And he developed the cure for selfishness by rewriting within his own mind and brain a perfect character. He developed a perfect character. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. What? How does that help us? How does Christ developing a perfect character help us? Because then he offers that rewiring through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Mm. Fascinating. So, we could say that he has developed the healing remedy to cure humanity from the infection that is sin and selfishness. Is that a fair statement? So these, these were his two primary tasks. Reveal the Father and then cure in humanity the infection of sin and selfishness. Or at least treat successfully. Well, it, if you go to a physician and you're infected with a virus or with cancer or pneumonia, the two may be synonymous. Do you want to be successfully treated or do you want to be cured? I don't know. To, to cure means that the, that the infectious object is gone from my system forever. It is eliminated. It is remitted. Yeah. And I don't know that that happens with sin until the second coming, until we are transformed. Okay, we're going to get into definitions of, quote, perfection. I mean, it has to have occur, be able to occur. Since several humans have been translated directly to heaven, it has to have been that their lives were so closely aligned with God, they understood and appreciated Him so much, and they renounced their sin that they were cured and able to be brought straight from here to heaven. And that okay, that's a, that's a great example. And there's one before, you know, several thousand years before Christ uh, walked this planet. So I, I believe that we do have the potential to be cured as opposed to being treated successfully. And again, I, I, these terms might be synonymous and maybe... Uh, dealing with semantics issues. The idea that Christ came to reveal his father's character is something that is a concept that I can I think that I can grasp, you know, um, fairly well. The mechanics of it, you can see the evidence of it. It's the process of curing that has to be more an act of faith on my part. Um, because I don't understand all the mechanics of it. And I want to make it clear that, you know, I think that we will spend eternity, you know, a trillion years from now, we will still be um, examining and our minds and hearts will be enlightened uh, to the width, height, and and breadth of of the love of God and the, the plan and process of salvation. I don't know that we will ever say we will ever be able to say that we come to a complete and full understanding of it. We'll understand more than we do now. Well, someone read the last paragraph in Sunday's lesson for us. The consistent note here is that Jesus was born to die. His death was not an accident. It had to happen. Why did it have to? Well, that is not a matter that can be explained fully by rational processes. Not because it is irrational, but because it is supra-rational, above human reason. 
it falls in the realm of divine revelation, part of that, quote, mystery, kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. The Bible does not go into any long attempt to justify it or explain it, maybe because it is not something subject to human logic. We do not have other instances elsewhere by which to judge or compare it. Biblical atonement represents a subtle occurrence in the history of the universe, and our task is to seek to understand what the Bible says about it and to apply what it means to our own lives. Any uh, thoughts on this passage? I disagree with it a little bit. A little bit? <laughs> yeah, I agree with the last sentence. They contradict themselves. They say it's something that we're never going to understand, and then later on they say to study the Bible and apply it to our lives, even though we can never understand it. Not, not, only, not only do they contradict themselves with their own words, they contradict themselves with Scripture. Exactly. The Scripture says, it's part of a, quote, mystery kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed. If the mystery is now revealed... What does that mean? That means that we're, we're expected to delve into it and we're expected to, to come to some sort of an understanding about it and to apply it. I, I respectfully disagree with the fact that we, you know, these things are above our human reason. I mean, after all, our class is come and reason. And yep. Therefore, you know, we feel that we can reason on these things. But... You know, there are those people, especially in the religious community, well, the religious world, shall we say, who will tell you, if you want to introduce a new idea to them, that this is not in our jurisdiction. In other words, only those who are especially trained or especially um, gifted, you know, with intelligence or with, with spiritual insight can, can tell you what the fact is about the mystery or whatever it may be. And I've, I've heard that, you know, just straight out. Mm -hmm. The smarter people have to interpret it for the dumber people. <laughs> that, that's true of a lot of professions in general, though, too. Just try to introduce a new concept into the field of medicine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any other thoughts on our ability or our responsibility for understanding? I believe everyone can understand it if they just study it for themselves. Jesus' sacrifice, God's sacrifice, was for us. Why would he do it in a way that we cannot understand if it was for our salvation? Okay. Um, you bring up uh, an interesting, interesting uh, perspective. Well, to, to go back... Maybe a half step or, or one. Uh, you know, you you were introduced, not just introducing, but you were talking about the idea that Satan has challenged God on the on the impossibility of being unselfish. Okay, now that that is something that everybody has to struggle with, obviously, because you know we you know we are who we are. We're independent creatures that you know have to look out for our own self-interest. If, if, I, if I don't care what I eat or what I drink or what I inhale or whatever, does anyone else care? I mean... Your wife might care. Theoretically, they do, you know, and ideally they do. But I'm the only one who can care enough to make a difference in my own life. You know, when, when, unless somebody just locks me up and gives me only what is good for me, you know. And if, so, if someone locked you up and forced you to eat, drink, and inhale only that which was appropriate, how would you feel? Locked up. <laughs> it, it, would it would instill a, an attitude of, I hear it, a few time, I hear it out there, of rebellion. But what I'm saying is that Satan has, has so promoted the idea, you know, or the, the lie, really, the deception that, that this is impossible for us, that we kind of just throw our hands up and say, well, you know, come see you come. Why bother? You know, what, what may be, when it be, or what is, why what will be, will be, you know, and why try? And I want to get back to your question about God's, you, you said God's sacrifice that day. 
Why did you use that phrase? Because it wasn't just Jesus. It was God, too. Okay. Parents probably have a better perspective on the sacrifice that God made that day when Christ was hung on the cross than I do, because I'm not a parent. Which would be more difficult? To watch your child being nailed to a tree and to restrain yourself, restrain your power to intervene. You have the power to intervene and stop that and to restrain yourself from intervening. Who suffered more that day? God or his son who was being nailed to the tree, who also had the power to stop it? It is a difficult call. I would contend that God suffered more. He could have done what, what he did for Abraham, you know, and stopped the knife right before it got to Isaac, you know. He could have done any number of things. But it's a suffering more not only in in restraint from doing what you're capable of doing, but it's a suffering that lasted through eternity for him. Yes. He created Satan. He created us. Yes. Knowing that we were going to do this to him. Yes, and he suffers every time we... He doesn't have dimmed memory. Mm -hmm. He remembers forward as well as he remembers backward. I mean, as far as we're concerned, it's not like us where some horrible thing happens and we're devastated and then we kind of recover and go on with our lives. He has a distinct knowledge and feeling of whatever happened long before, long before it ever did, and long afterwards. So it's a suffering, not only of type of suffering, but in just quantity you know, and to say that he went ahead and made Satan and made us in the light of knowing what we were going to do, and look how he treated Judas, mm-hmm. in the light of knowing what Judas was going to do. Mm-hmm. It says a lot about him and his ability to love and allow us true freedom. I agree. Well said. Any other thoughts on, yes? I, I don't care for the second sentence there. It had to happen. Um, it, was, it seems to me that the choice played in big time here that God choosing to do that, and Jesus choosing to do that for us. There's no point where they forced him. Well, okay, I, I see your point, but from that standpoint, in con- it had to happen with respect to the nature of the beings that we're talking about. If God's was to fully reveal his character as a loving and merciful God, it had to happen. If it didn't have to happen, that would have been inconsistent with God's character. Okay. Yes? I think Brinsmead had said it, the sin is the will to kill God. At the cross, we see the two characters come to a climax. That sin and love we're at opposites because death is not in the mind of God so we know it didn't come from him right so it came from sin well yes there are, there are these two the two antagonistic principles at work in the world we've been over this numerous times in the class and yes we see those two antagonistic principles come to meet at the cross and the character and methods and principles of God, one. Period. Well, look at the sheer courtesy of God. Here, Satan is spreading lies about him. Satan, uh, God knows that people don't know who to believe. They've always believed in Satan, uh, Lucifer at the time, being a trustworthy archangel. And, you know, he could have wiped him out, but he didn't. He gave him the courtesy of showing... of showing his true colors. But yet, when God showed up on the earth in the form of Jesus, Satan tried in every way he possibly could to kill him from the minute he was born. It only took 33 years to get there. But not, and would have been a lot sooner if it hadn't been for direct intervention to keep him alive. Okay. This brings up a great point. If the blood of the Son of God was all that was needed for salvation... Blood, you know, blood has to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission from sin. If blood was all that was needed, then why not let, why not let Herod kill Christ as a baby? Blood's been shed. 
you know, now I can be forgiving and kind to humanity. Because it wasn't just shedding of blood. Jesus died the eternal death for us. He was willing to be gone for eternity, separated from his Father for eternity, so that we may live in his place for eternity with God as Father. And I think that came from a conscious choice of Jesus being an adult, saying, I consciously choose. I've lived this perfect life on this earth, and now I consciously choose as a human being to to be separated for eternity, dying the second death for from my Father, so that my creation can live for eternity in God's presence. Okay, so in other words, he had to be an adult to to have the freedom of choice, to have the power of choice. Okay, that's that's a valid point. That that could easily be argued as one reason why why uh, he wasn't allowed to be killed as a babe. What what else? His mission wasn't complete. Yeah, his life was to show he couldn't have revealed the character of God. That was one of the primary functions that he came to Earth for. He couldn't couldn't very well reveal the character of God if he was slaughtered as an infant. Nor to know the for our life, um, you know, what we're to aspire to, if he would have been killed as a baby versus the 33 years ago. Okay. Dean, again, please. Or develop a perfect character. He could not have developed, and it's very important that we understand that, that he developed a perfect character. He was not born with a perfect character. He developed a perfect character. And now... As part of the, and how that impacts us, he now offers to freely give us this character. I want to read to you a passage from the Desire of Ages, page 762. The law requires righteousness, a righteous life, a perfect character, and this man has not to give. He cannot meet the claims of God's holy law. But Christ, coming to earth as a man, lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. His life stands for the life of men. Thus they have remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And more than this, Christ imbues men with the attributes of God. He builds up the human character after the similitude of the divine character, a goodly fabric of spiritual strength and beauty. Thus, the very righteousness of the law is fulfilled in the believer in Christ. God can, quote, be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. References uh, Romans 3.26. Any thoughts on this passage? Well, it beats just being covered by the robe of righteousness while being nasty within. (laughs) Yes, it does. Indeed it does. There's a... There's a large portion of Christianity that teaches, well, I'm covered by the robe of righteousness. I'm covered in the blood. I was saved. I have to make no changes in my character. It's already been done for me. All I have to do is accept that stamp on the books in heaven right next to my name, and I'm good to go. Why wouldn't we want to be cured? I mean, why? (laughs) Exactly. Why would we want to be just covered around like Christ between us and God? So. All God sees is Christ, and he doesn't see who we really are, which we're totally infected with sin and greediness and self-centeredness and, and evil, hurting mm-hmm. others, hurting ourselves, hurting our relationships, hurting everything. Why would we not want to be cured from that? Why would we just want to be uh, presented better than we really are to God? Why would we want to be better than we really are? Good question. Because it's too hard. It's a hard thing to do to give up self. And when you're taught that, well, we'll, we'll get a perfect body, a perfect mind when we're translated. So there, I don't have to do anything now. I'll just wait until Jesus comes. And then, bingo, he'll change me in an instant. I don't have to do anything. Well, and also because we live in such a selfish world today that everything we get in life won't easy. We don't have to work for anything. And we raise our kids this way that, you know, you it's owed to you. Just being born on this earth, it's owed to you. You didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to be born. So no, I didn't ask to be born infected. So It's not my fault to begin with, so why should I have to worry about it? Good point. Yes. Uh, it, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a visitor to this class, so I'm not welcome to the whole, a lot of this, what you're talking about, but what else did the people who were invited to the wedding have to do besides put on the robe? They had to accept it. They had to show up for the meal. Yeah. But the did they have to, once they got to the wedding, did they have to go into a different room and take the robe off and clean themselves up and then put the robe back on and come out for the wedding? My understanding is they got to stay at the wedding and be full participants in the wedding as long as they kept the robe on. So what I, is the I don't see anything in that story about them ever being cured of this disease of sin. What? As long as they kept the robe on, they were able to stay there. What is the robe in this story and in other places in Scripture symbolic of? The righteousness of Christ. And what is Which it? is more more than that is is the character of Christ okay. which is the character of God the two are the same and what does it mean to put it on so wearing the robe my understanding is that this is actual taking in taking on the character of Christ which he freely offers us I had a friend of mine one time we were batting this back and forth and she was saying that salvation is a free gift. You know, man cannot participate in this in any way. And I said, well, I respectfully disagree. She goes, no, no, no. Salvation is like a napkin. If I give you this napkin, it's yours. And my comment was, well, what good is the napkin on the table if you don't use the napkin to wipe the mustard from your face? If we're given this character of Christ, we have to take it in. We have to internalize it. We have to, it's, are you in healthcare? Yeah. If you go to a physician and you're sick, you say you have pneumonia, and the physician says, I'm going to prescribe you Cipro, an antibiotic, for uh, treatment of this pneumonia, and you, you take the bottle of antibiotics home and you really have faith in the physician and you set the bottle of antibiotics on your shelf and you look at the antibiotics and you read the label, read all the side effects and you say, well, I don't feel any better, but I have the antibiotics, so I must be getting better. Are the antibiotics helping you? No. They're not. You didn't take them. You haven't internalized the antibiotics. Another example is if you go to a physician, you have pneumonia and he reviews your chart and uh, does a full examination on you and then he takes the uh, previous medical records out of your chart and puts blank pages on there and he says I, I don't see anything wrong with you there's nothing on the there's nothing on the medical records you're okay are you are you healed from pneumonia no when you go to a physician you want a complete and thorough examination. You want, first of all, you want to be able to trust the physician. If you don't trust the physician, you're probably not going to follow their advice in the first place. You want a trustworthy physician. You want them to do a detailed examination. And you want them to provide you intervention that is going to remit you back to your state of health. Our original created state of health. We were originally created to live forever. We were not created to die. We want things to be remitted back to their previous healthy state, which is in harmony with the law, quote, law of God's universe. And since he is the only source of life in this universe, we have to remain connected to this. This healing process is the part of the plan of salvation that I have yet to develop a, a good grasp on. I don't understand the mechanics of it, and that's the part that I have to take on faith. But, but in this story, even, on, on the wedding feast, they went out in the highways and byways and brought the people in. They didn't ask to be brought in. They weren't on the door knocking, saying, I want to come into the wedding feast. They were brought in. And that, that I've never really understood that. I mean, they were offered the robe of righteousness without even being asked. Because it's like we have to ask God for forgiveness. Well, they were being asked. They went out to the roof, byways and asked the people, come on, there's a wedding feast. You want to come? Here. What but I'm not? saying, 
They weren't asked. God doesn't come and ask. We have to ask him to come into our hearts. These people, were, they went out and asked the people to come in. Well, Isn't that what God's doing? He's reaching out to us. Stands at the door and knocks. They had to accept. Well, they weren't standing at the door and knocking. That's, that's what no, I'm saying. God, God is standing at the door He's going out there after them. Right? Nobody comes to God. I think the asking God is for us. God forgives us anyway. The asking is what changes us because right. our heart comes to that place. Right. But he forgives. He forgave those who were murdering him on the cross. Well said, yes. Yes, sir. I guess my biggest difficulty I have is the fear that people, if they, if they believe that they're cured of this disease of sin, they don't need to go to the doctor anymore. Okay, Number two, great point. If you feel that the robe of righteousness or the robe of Christ's character has changed you sufficiently, then you may believe that you don't need to put that robe on anymore. And that was the problem with the wedding guests who were originally invited, is they wouldn't put the robe on because they were already too good and too clean in their own minds. And I, and I guess that you know if you, if you take that to a conclusion, you may get to the point where you feel, well, I'm, I, have, I have taken on God's character. I no longer need the robe of righteousness. That, and that's the area of perfection that destroys people. It, it can. You're correct. Um, I, I think there are some, and I don't know the pages, but in the great controversy, there's some interesting uh, insights as to the character of those of the remnant who will be alive at the time of the second coming. And she indicates that, I'm paraphrasing here, so don't hold me to a quote, that the more Christ-like these people have become, the more aware they are of their own unworthiness and their own sinful nature and their own propensity to make mistakes. And yet, so their, their self-awareness is they, they see, they, they have not forgotten their previous previous way of doing things. They've not forgotten the previous sins of commission and omission that they've committed. They don't see themselves as worthy of being called uh, Christ-like, and yet in their thoughts, actions, words, and behaviors, they are Christ-like. So you're right. There is a danger of feeling proud, there's a danger of feeling like yeah, I, I'm I'm good enough. I I don't need to revisit the physician. Um, and, and keeping with that metaphor, you're correct. There is a danger in that. The you know Tim's again back to this healthcare analogy. Tim uh, uh, uses the, the the Ten Commandments uh, as a um, and you know Scripture in general as simply a diagnostic tool. It's a diagnostic device. It's like an MRI. You, you go to a physician, and one of the tools that they may use is an MRI. They may do a nuclear medicine scan on you and say, okay, here's the, here's the infection, here's the tumor, here's the dysfunction. That's simply a diagnostic tool. Once you're, once you're healed, you may revisit an MRI to see tumor is shrinking. You may need to continue to follow with a physician. And you may need to continue to, to be on chemotherapy or on antibiotic therapy or on, you know, psychotherapy or any, any kind of therapy. You may, you may need to continue that process. Um, those of us in healthcare know that it's rarely a one-shot deal. You know, wham, bam, you're done. So rather than it being an infectious disease that can be cured, it's more of a birth defect that can be dealt with. I, 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 you, several years ago, there was the far side, and there was this cartoon of these two deer, mm-hmm. and one of them had on his chest this this birthmark, big target, target, and the captain said, "Bummer of a birthmark, Hal." And no matter what he tried to do to get rid of that birthmark, he always had it, at least until an arrow or a bullet hit it. And well, we're Paul gives us some insight into this struggle. You know, he's he, in, in, in the struggle in his own life. You know, the the things that I want to do, I do not do. The things that I do not want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. Thanks be to the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have these two competing methods and principles at war in our bodies. 
And Christ offers us the power because he's already defeated the he's already defeated Satan's methods and principles and he offers to give that to us to heal us. I believe it is a complete healing. And I don't know what that looks like. Because I'm not there yet. Looks like Christ. Can it be a complete <laughs> willingness to listen to God? So in the, so drawn to his principle of love, that that's what you want, and willing to listen to him above anything else because you think that's right? Well said. Those who are cooperating with the great physician in the healing process are at various stages on the continuum of the healing process. Take the thief on the cross. I don't believe that he just was hanging there and realized, hmm, this guy's got something good. I think that this, this guy had, had, had previously heard about Christ, had previously opened his mind and his heart to the teachings, and had realized that the life that he was embarking on was dysfunctional. And when he found himself hanging next to Christ, he rebuked the other thief. So he just begun the he he just begun the cooperating in the healing process. Never mind that he went to sleep uh, later that day. He had begun the healing process. Or take the life of David. His whole life was a healing process. Yeah. You know, he was constantly doing things opposed to what he knew was right. But then he was so repentant. God knew that his heart was right. And yet God calls him okay. a man after my own heart. Because he knew the desire of David's heart was to please God. Because God Yes. It was the trend of David's life that even after he would sin, he would be so repentant. And when you read the Psalms, it's unbelievable how he would repent for what he did. So God knew that his heart was in the right place, which is hope for us. Amen. Whether It's expedient that I leave you, because if I go back to the Father, he will send you the Holy Spirit. The Comforter, yes. Of mine and give it to you. And will reveal all truth. To put into us what Jesus provided. When Sister White also comments that the Holy Spirit is the omnipresence of yeah. Christ. I, want to, I also want to read a quote. For, this is from Desire of Ages 675. This is a little bit going to the theme with how this healing process works. I am the vine, ye are the branches, Christ said to his disciples. Though he was about to be removed from them, their spiritual union with him was to be unchanged. The connection of the branch with the vine, he said, represents the relation you are to sustain to me. The scion is engrafted into the living vine, and fiber by fiber, vein by vein, it grows out into the vine stock. The life of the vine becomes the life of the branch. So the soul dead in trespasses and sins receives life through the connection with Christ. By faith in him as a personal savior, the union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness to Christ's strength, his emptiness to Christ's fullness, his frailty to Christ's enduring might. Then he has the mind of Christ. The humanity of Christ has touched our humanity, and our humanity has touched divinity. Thus, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, man becomes a partaker of the, of the divine nature. He is accepted in the beloved. I don't have to understand the physiology, the biochemistry, the molecular biology of how antibiotics cure my pneumonia. What I do have to do is trust the physician trust the remedy, and internalize the remedy for healing to occur. Okay, We will spend eternity learning the intricacies of how this healing occurred. And I don't know that we'll ever completely understand it. Yes? When we study and talk about these things, you know, we, we use analogies all the time that you know, to the unchurched or possibly even to somebody who's visiting, you know, they seem a little bit um, unusual or uh, maybe, uh, you know, they're not in the context that they're, they're, they usually understand these things and so forth. But, and all of that obviously has a limitation. But in, I, I do masonry work. And so <laughs> in, uh, in stonework particularly, they, they have what they call preacher pallets, 
of stone. Okay, so you have all this nice stone. It's the right size, you know, the right shapes and all that sort of thing that you can use. And in the middle, where you can't see the stone, it's junk. It's all this stuff that's just thrown in there to sort of fill the pallet up. And the analogy here is that if you can only work with the stuff that's on the outside, you know, on a superficial basis, so, so to speak, you know, for the human being, what are you going to do when you when you have to finish something? When you have to do, when you have to get the job done? When you have to get paid? When the time is up? Okay. And so that stuff in the middle has to be something that a person can work with, that God can work with, or a mason can work with. And I think, you know, I think that's a pretty good analogy too, because if, if we if we aren't willing, and if we don't have the body if our body parts aren't in good enough shape or good enough health to take the antibiotics or to take the treatments or whatever, you know, we're out of luck. And that's why it's so important, you know, to, to take care of these things, in my view. I mean, that's, I'm trying to give a practical view to this, this whole thing, you know, with the analogies and all the rest of it. Take care of what things? The things in your life that need to be done or, or you know, the work that you have to do, the purpose that you're trying to, in other words, if if we go, if, if, if this whole class signed up to do a mission trip, okay, and we're going to build a church somewhere, somebody has to know how to how to build that church. Somebody has to know what's going on with it. We have to have the parts, the, the people to, to put that thing together, all right, equipment and mechanical ability. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. But no, what I get from this, from what you're saying is, we have to take care of all these things in our life. No. Whereas, you know, we turn it over to God and God takes care of it. But we, we, we have cooperate. To... It, it's a cooperation process. Okay. Definitely a cooperation process. He doesn't take care of nothing without going through it. Because That's he's what I'm in saying. Us. Well, but we <laughs> have to ask him in us. We have to, you know, but, so I just wanted to make that clear. It's not that we take care of all of our problems and stuff. It's that we ask God to come in and show us the way. Well, it's patient doctor, it's, it's mechanic, uh, you know, uh, material, it's it's uh, it's human with the spirit. Faith without works is dead. God has to give us the repentance. It doesn't even come natural. You know well, we saying? know that all good things comes from the Holy Spirit. There's nothing good of ourselves. Any good that we have comes from above. I mean, there's times when you'll say something, you'll say, man, I didn't say that. You know, it's, God will speak through you, through your mouth. I mean, it's if you're cured, why can't good things come out? Should can a fountain bring forth sweet and bitter? How, how many of you think that we as a church have done a masterful job of presenting these concepts to one another and to the rest of Christianity? Our circles of semantics are a little too tight most of the time. And, and whenever whenever somebody comes in that's not familiar with what's being said or what's going on, you know, they kind of go out with this, like, feeling of abstraction, you know. I'm going to tell you something. Several weeks ago, we were visiting a friend who was raised in the church. But about 15 years ago, she stopped going to church because she did not hear anything like this. All she heard was more or less superficial things, nothing that met her needs at all. So she stopped going to church. And when we were visiting her, it was Sabbath, and we said, you know, why don't we told them about this class, and we said, it's online, let's listen to it. So we tuned into it. And she sat there and cried and cried, and she said, where was this when I needed it? She said, is, is this presented in Adventist church that you're going to? And we said, well, yeah, it's a college adult church. They said, they allow him to teach this? They allow this guy to teach this to you guys? Well, of course. And she said, I'm, I have never heard this presented in Adventist church. Never. She was so excited about it. She called a friend in California who also had left the church because of the way it was teaching. And she said, you've got to tune into this. Come and reason. Listen to it. Later on, her friend called her back and said, I have never heard anything like that in Adventist church. She couldn't wait to present this to her friends who have left the church like she has, simply because they, they weren't feeding them. They weren't hearing things like this. And she said she had no idea that something like this was in existence in the church. And she was so excited about it. Praise the Lord. 
Terry, one last comment, and then we'll have to close. I wanted to comment on what these two were talking about. I think it is very important for us to take care of ourselves and to take care of what's on the inside. But I think what when it, when it becomes important is why are we doing it and what is our focus on. If I am eating healthy and if I am getting good sleep habits and if I'm in the scriptures reading and if I'm brushing my teeth and taking, you know, but I'm doing it for me. If I'm doing it to make myself better and the focus is all on me, then it has become wrong. If I'm doing it because the Lord has called me to do it, because he says, Terry, you can have a better life, you can love me more, you can focus on me more if you do all these things. You can give me the glory, you can give me the praise. Others can see me through you when you do all of these things. Then it becomes something good. It's where the focus is on. If I'm doing it for me to better myself, for me and me only, then it's all bad. It's a balance. If I'm doing it to praise and glorify God, then it has become a good thing, and he uses that and works through it. And praise God that he's the one that reads our hearts, and not, and we don't, we don't read other people's hearts and we judge can, that. We can step all over each other trying to be saved. Yeah. All right. Let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, we want to thank you for revealing your character. We want to thank you for the remedy to heal us from this infection that is sin. We're grateful for your patience and your forbearance and your mercy and for your justice. Is the two are inseparable. Uh, I want to ask that you continue to bless this class, both collectively and individually. Uh, be with those of our group who are not with us today and bring them safely back to us in the coming weeks ahead. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.